Welcome to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. This is your host, Ethan Gavon, coming to you from Sacramento, California. Keep Playing Baseball is a registered 501c3 nonprofit organization dedicated to helping every high school baseball player navigate the recruiting process and play college baseball. At Keep Playing Baseball, we don't think money should dictate college baseball opportunity, and all our resources, including this podcast, are 100% free. No signups, no fees, no strings attached. We use the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast in many different ways, but the main point is to get you the information you need to keep playing baseball. We appreciate you tuning in to the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast, the best source of recruiting information on the go. What's up, guys? On this episode of the KPB podcast, we are taking things international. We are reaching out all the way across the world to Singapore, where we connect with Owen Reed, who is an international baseball consultant originally from Missouri, the founder of Reed Baseball. Owen has more than 15 years' experience as a player and coach. He attended Division I schools, Baylor University and Winthrop University, where he graduated and upon graduating, took his game overseas and has not looked back. Over the last decade, Owen's baseball expertise has taken him to more than 50 countries on five different continents. Through Reed Baseball, Owen maintains a baseball coaching presence throughout Asia, Australia, Europe, and the Middle East, where he works with players and coaches from the beginning levels to elite athletes and senior national team players. We're excited to talk shop with Owen, and we'll bring you his interview right after these brief messages. Owen, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Ethan, thank you for having me, partner. It's good to be on here with you, and I appreciate you asking me to come on here and talk baseball with you. Definitely, man. So this is going to make a lot more sense as we get into the show, but uh, for starters, where are you? Where in the world is Owen Reed right now? (laughs) Well, I am at home in Singapore. So that is my current location. So you're in Singapore. It's tomorrow afternoon, early afternoon. Yes. In Singapore, I am 15 hours ahead of the West Coast in the United States. So it looks to be a a great day for you guys. And I wish you all the best as you tackle what I've already experienced. (laughs) Great. Great. Well, we're here in, in Sacramento. It's nighttime. And we usually start off the podcast by asking people kind of what got them got them to this point in their career for you that entails about 50 countries and five continents so is it even possible for you to give an abbreviated version of your life in baseball leading up to this point i suppose the short answer is no <laughs> however uh, I, I think that the the most abbreviated version would be that you know like most kids i i grew up playing the game uh, my father my grandfather my uncle were all active in the game as players and then as coaches. And long before I was around, they were involved in baseball. So I had a very organic transition from birth into the game of baseball and was the bat boy on my father's teams as he coached high school players. And as a result was kind of a permanent fixture in the dugout and at practices and ultimately fell in love with baseball. And it became my, my passion and something that I loved not only as a, as a young, young child growing up, but became a true fan of the game and, and watching it both in person and on television. And truthfully, that, that hasn't stopped. So I, I grew up in the, in the Midwest where was fortunate to have the Kansas City Royals and the St. Louis Cardinals less than three hours from my home, which allowed me to go and see at that time American and National League games and the introduction of interleague play in the late 90s was a really exciting time to be a, a baseball fan and to grow up in Missouri where the where baseball was played by two major league organizations just close to my house. Yeah, pretty pretty lucky spot right there. So grew up in the game, grew up around the game. As you said, you grew up in the dugout. So let's let's think back to maybe junior high or high school. 
at what point did you know that you wanted to play college baseball? It was pretty early on, you know, as I was, as I was coming through the game and, and had a chance to hear stories of, of guys who were from the area that I was in Missouri going on and having a chance to play collegiately. It was something that I knew was a reality for me, but to what extent I didn't know. And I also had heard of, of guys who took the leap past college and decided to go play professionally, which of course was intriguing. But I think for me, the, the opportunity to really see firsthand that college was the route I wanted to take, that took place for me when I was between the ages of 13 and 15 years old. So as I, as I had an opportunity to play for the Midwest Prospects, which was an organization out of St. Louis, we traveled around the Midwest throughout Oklahoma, Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, Texas, Tennessee, Kentucky, and played in weekend essentially showcase tournaments. And again, this was in the early 2000s, so not quite to the extent that a, a weekend showcase tournament is today. Right. But we, we played on college campuses in front of college coaches and were playing against the top talent in, in our area of the United States and sometimes beyond that. So it really opened my eyes to see what it was like to be on a college campus, what it was like to play on a field and at a facility of that magnitude. And from that point on, it was for me a, a really a no brainer. I was, I was good in school. It wasn't the best, but I was a, a good student in the top 5% of my class typically. And I knew that if I, if I continued to make good grades and I continued to excel on the field, that playing collegiately at a high level was a reality. And having had the experiences throughout the summer, visiting these college campuses and just seeing what that lifestyle could be like, it was intriguing and, and certainly something that I wanted to do. And, and that really, for me, was kind of the, the tipping point for when I said, college is the path that I want to take really no matter what. Right. So you were, you were a pretty good player in high school and by pretty good, you know, you set some records and, and as you said, you were a good student. So when it come to playing comes to, you know, the recruiting process and getting prepared to play college baseball, what was your process? How did you make that happen? Was it just playing in these tournaments or were you reaching out to coaches kind of fill in some of those, those gaps there for us and let us know how you put that plan into action. It was a fairly organic process. I, I grew up in a very small town in Missouri, a town called Moberly. The next closest town or city was the city of Columbia, which is where the University of Missouri is. And beyond that, it was St. Louis and Kansas City. And those were three hours respectively from where I grew up in Moberly. So the opportunities for high-level coaching expertise, but also the ability to play at a competitive level didn't really exist where I was from, so I had to travel. Right. And in conjunction with those travel tournaments through the summer, I would have a chance to, through the winter, go and train at a facility in St. Louis where I worked with high-level pitching instructors, hitting instructors, guys who could help me take my game to the next level. And my parents, thankfully, made the, the commitment early on to allow me to do that. So my dad would drive me three hours one way every weekend to go for pitching, for hitting lessons and opportunities for me to improve. And of course, as my game, uh, as my game was taken to the next level and opportunities presented themselves during the summer and was able to play in front of these coaches, then some eyes were starting to open and they, they realized that, that there was some ability there. And Really, the rest kind of took care of itself. The, you know, within the rules, of course, as as I was able to be contacted, schools reached out. At that time, it was typically with with letters, either handwritten notes or a typed up letter from a, a coach. Right, and that would usually that would usually be followed by a phone call or an opportunity to speak with them over the phone. And then, as the process continued, you know, I took official visits to a handful of schools and was able to really see firsthand the, the level of interest that these programs were showing in me. And, and also on the flip side, they could see how interested I was in, in their program and academically as a student, but also as the athlete that I was, which was giving me this opportunity. Right. Much different, much different nowadays, obviously with 
technology and the internet and the ability to communicate instantaneously and send video. Um, so you're talking about a time back when, you know, letters, phone calls were, were the way, um, which is really interesting and, and uh, brings me back to some of my high school moments. Um, but eventually you ended up at Baylor. So big, big time school, power five conference. Um, I believe when you got there, they were coming off a world series appearance. Um, give our listeners kind of a, a realistic non sugar coated view of what that big school power five baseball experience was. It was as most would imagine. It was incredible. I, stepped on campus and felt like royalty immediately. I had a big locker with my name and number on it and a, a chair with my name on it. <laughs> and as a team, as you mentioned, the, the team coming off a fourth place finish in the College World Series the year before, it was the, the, best, the best season that Baylor put together in school history. There was a real buzz about the team and, and the program generally. So the facilities we had were second to none. So the resources at our at our disposal as players, it was it was just amazing, you know, as an 18 year old to roll in there and and see a huge stadium that this was this was my home field. It was just incredible. So was able to share a locker room with guys who eventually made it to the big leagues and many more who went on to play professionally. And that, of course, added to the whole experience and the opportunity to be a collegiate student athlete at a big time program. So. Things like walking around campus and even in the community there in Waco, Texas, people knew you're on the baseball team. People may not have known you by name, but certainly recognized your face or if you were in a group, the, the, the understanding that, hey, those are athletes and they go to Baylor and they're on the baseball team was, it was a big deal because the baseball program was a big part of the school and, and the community as well. So it was a it was truthfully a, a really a unique experience that I never envisioned I would have. Sure. And so obviously there's a number of reasons why people end up at schools, stay at schools, leave schools, but you were at Baylor for one year and you transferred uh, at the time D1 to D1 had no penalty. So you went straight to another D1 at Winthrop in South Carolina. Um, talk a little bit about the transfer process and how did that shake out for you? How did you end up at Winthrop? So after a, a very, I would say an average to sub subpar uh, freshman year at Baylor, I threw around 18 innings and and predominantly came out of the bullpen, had a, a couple spot starts, but was a guy who came out of the pen and had experienced some success and some key moments and then had really had one poor outing that kind of inflated my numbers. So, you know, if you look at my year statistically at Baylor, it wasn't the greatest, but if you took one, one third of an inning out against TCU, it was a, uh, it was a respectable freshman campaign. So, you know, evaluating everything, knowing that we had the number one recruiting class coming in for what would be my sophomore year, knowing that we re we returned the bulk of our pitching staff. And I had the scratch and claw for the, the 18 innings that I got. It was just a, a decision for me that I, I wanted to have a little bit more security in knowing that I was going to pitch more in my second and subsequent years of collegiate baseball. So I went and played in the Northwoods League and for the Wisconsin Woodchucks after the summer after my freshman year. And there I met someone who eventually became my roommate at Winthrop, who was transferring from another Division One school that was losing its baseball program. And he said, hey, I'm headed to Winthrop. You should you should give it a look. It's a great program, brand new facilities. The, the coaching staff has been intact for a while. Good guys coming in. Give them a look. So I, I did. And coincidentally, the head coach at Winthrop had previously coached at another Division I school with my head coach from Baylor. So another small world story. They knew each other and were able to, to speak on, on behalf of me and get a better understanding of what was going in the other direction there. So I took a visit to Winthrop, liked what I saw, and at that point decided that was the best place for me to be, both academically and athletically. And then from my sophomore year through my senior year, played 
played on the winter baseball team. I was a student athlete at a different division one school. So it sounds like it was a pretty seamless transition then from one program to the next. It really was. And in fact, there were, there were so many similarities in the program because the two head coaches had previously coached together that a lot of the terminology, a lot of the, the philosophies and kind of core concepts of the programs were maybe not identical, but certainly similar. So the, the transition on the field was definitely fairly, was fairly seamless as well. That's great. And obviously benefiting from that, that transfer rule where you used to be able to go D1 to D1 without sitting out. Um, so, so looking back kind of at your college career, if you could go back in, in time and go back to your original recruitment to Baylor and your college decision, would you do anything different? Is there any additional information you would seek out or are you pretty happy with the way things worked out? You know, as I reflect on the, on the whole process, I, I don't think there'd be much that I would change. I had a, a chance to take visits to and have serious interest from Baylor University, Wake Forest, Ole Miss, TCU, and didn't take a visit to Wichita State, but had, had a significant amount of interest from them as well. So, you know, those are great schools, both academically and, and baseball-wise. And I landed on Baylor at the time. I felt it was the best place for me to be as a student and as a, as a baseball player. So I felt like it was the best fit. Felt like their interest in me through the scholarship that they were offering was showed the the level of their interest and investment that they were willing to put in my direction. So I don't know that I would change anything about that. And in fact, the the whole process of receiving interest in in the form of letters and phone calls and, and the in-person visits to the schools was it wasn't overwhelming, but it was it was humbling. You know, it was a it was a flattering a chance for a 17, 18 year old to go and feel like someone far more important than he ever envisioned he was. So just to have that experience and to embrace that journey is something that I, as I think about it right now, is is pretty special. And so my, I suppose my only advice to those going through the process is to just embrace every bit of it. Every email, every text message, every phone call, be present both, you know, mentally and physically to, to really enjoy it and to take it in and realize just the the magnitude and the the level of importance that it is for the the person who's making the investment but also the person who's being invested in so i think that the the whole process was a a positive experience for me that i definitely grew from yeah you know that's a pretty that's a pretty powerful perspective for you now right you you've been through the recruiting process you've been a player you're now you're a coach and to look back at that experience and kind of remember those milestones, so to speak, and look at those favorably. I think that's a lesson that a lot of recruits can learn from. And it's something that we've had other podcast guests echo is, you know, so many kids want to get the process over with. They feel like they have this monkey on their back and they want to just rush to a commitment. But what you're talking about is, you know, being in the moment, being where your feet are and really enjoying the process, enjoying the journey. And I think that's something that a lot of kids can listen to. So while we got you on this role of, uh, of dropping great information for recruits, as you kind of look back at this whole experience, um, if you could deliver, and I know you just delivered some advice, but if you could deliver your best piece of advice to a kid who's just starting the recruiting process, is that what it would be? Or is, is there something else that you would tell him that he should do to have success in making it to the college level? I would say, you know, as succinctly as possible, I'd say, do your research, ask good questions and listen, you know, speaking with guys who've walked the path that you want to, that you want to walk is always a great way to get more of a firsthand look at what it is you might be in for at a school in a program. So having conversations with former players at a program you're interested in, it can be extremely insightful in more ways than you realize. So I think another thing that you could do that I don't recall doing, but as I reflect kind of on a more mature level, talking to students who aren't even athletes at the school to see what life on campus and in the community is like if you're not playing a sport. You know, is it a place you'd want to be if your baseball career ended tomorrow? It's 
not a question or topic anyone really wants to have to consider, but if an injury occurs or things don't pan out the way that they, that you envision them or the way that they were initially drawn up, it, it's a reality that some might be faced with. So I think doing research, asking good questions, and then listening to those who are in that experience right now, or who have already had that experience that you can benefit from. Sure. Sure. And of course we're at keep playing baseball. We're all about the player to player feedback. So right in, right in line with that advice. Love that. And for those of you guys listening out there, uh, this is one of the reasons why I was so excited to bring Owen on and talk to him about baseball and, and his experiences because your your perspective and what you've done in this game and the places that you've been really lend to some ridiculously good advice. So, um, you know, as we transition out of your college playing and into your professional career abroad um, and then your coaching, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of take a deeper dive into that stuff, but full disclosure, you know, we met playing, uh, whatever you want to call it, international professional baseball or playing abroad in Australia. Um, but you did not obviously finish playing your, your career in college. So you ended up playing two seasons in Europe, a season in New Zealand and three seasons in Australia. Is that right? That's exactly right. I was fortunate to be able to play five seasons of international baseball in some pretty amazing parts of the world. And as you said, partner, that's that's how we met and have been able to keep in touch through the great game of baseball. Yes. Yeah, so talk a little bit about your path to playing abroad and how did you how did you come to do that? How did you make that happen? So the spring of my senior year, it it didn't hit me at this point. It, it certainly hit me probably six to eight months before this, but it became more obvious that I wasn't going to play professional affiliated baseball in the United States. That said, I was absolutely interested in continuing to play baseball. So if that meant leaving the country and pursuing other options outside the U.S., I was all for it. In fact, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I had a, a chat with my head coach at the time, and I just asked if he had any connections in international baseball. And I said, look, I'd love to be able to go to a Spanish speaking country. I'm studying Spanish. I have for a while, I have a passion for the language. And I think that'd be a great way for me to continue learning a language and developing. And if I get to play baseball at the same time, outstanding. So he didn't have any that, uh, that would take me to Latin America or any Spanish speaking countries for that matter. But he said, hey, I've got a former player who is from Austria. And as soon as he said Austria, I, in my head, I tried to think of a map and I, I couldn't even pinpoint where I thought Austria was at the time. And again, I'm a senior in college. So that's, uh, that's obviously me not paying attention in geography class. Yeah. Geography major, right? <laughs> not at all. <laughs> so ultimately that conversation led to me connecting with a former player at Winthrop who was Austrian, who was active in the Austrian and European baseball scene. We had a chance to, to connect on the phone. We exchanged some emails. He came and watched me play a few times. And then the day after my college baseball season and college baseball career ended at Winthrop, I was on a plane to Vienna to join the Superfund Wanderers in the Austrian Baseball League. And that summer was no doubt a life a life-changing summer for me, a life-changing period in my in my career, but also my life. And it was a turning point that I look back on now, and I'm just so thankful for because not only was there success on the field, we, we won the first Austrian Baseball League championship that the organization won in more than two decades. And it just opened my eyes to a whole nother world, both literally and figuratively. And it was at that point that I realized, hey, I can continue playing baseball outside of my home country. And I can really do this for as long as I want, really wherever I want. So I got on the, I got on the email, I got on the email binge and just sent out tons and tons of emails uh, trying to find a place to play in the Southern hemisphere for what would be the winter time in North America or in Europe. And a lot of, a lot of non-responses, lots of, uh, 
of lack of, of communication, but I was ultimately responded to from an organization in New Zealand who brought me out to coach. And I was a little bit apprehensive because I wanted to play and didn't really have my sights set on coaching, but took it as a, a chance to, to go and do something different, different in a, in a new part of the world. And I got there and was able to connect with the local club as a player and then coached at a different club and really kind of cut my teeth as a coach through those, those first experiences that I had. And meanwhile, had organized a chance to come back to a, a different club in Austria and a different part of the country and play and coach. And then that led me to keeping in contact with a collegiate teammate who is from Perth, Australia. And he ultimately put me in touch with a local club that brought me out in 2010 to coach one of its lower grade teams and play for its, its uh, A grade team there in Perth. And so what I thought was going to be one season of baseball in, in Australia turned into two and two turned into me landing a front office job with the Australian Baseball League's Perth Heat. And that took me to the, the, the state league in Western Australia, which is another level up in terms of playing. And then I latched on as, a, as the uh, development officer for the for baseball Western Australia, the state association, and then connected on the Perth Heat coaching staff in the Australian Baseball League. And one role turned into another, ultimately ended up in Singapore running a baseball academy here, which I did for just over two years. That took me to Indonesia to open another facility. And I came back to Singapore and decided that I was ready to move on from that position. And so for the last two and a half, going on three years now, I've been running my own show, creating my own schedule as an international baseball consultant throughout the Middle East, Europe, Asia, and Australia. So that's nearly a decade of, of baseball abroad then, or is that a decade now? It will be a decade in the month of May. I will be coming up on 10 years of living outside of the United States and being involved in international baseball. Incredible. Incredible. I often tell people when I'm when I'm trying to describe you to uh, someone else, I often use like you're the you're the baseball Dos Equis guy in my mind because you've, <laughs> you've your path is you know what I love about it it really epitomizes kind of the the vast array of life ex experiences that can stem from playing college baseball you know so as you mentioned this this all started with a conversation with your college coach about wanting to continue playing and, and hoping to, you know, maybe work on some Spanish. Um, and you didn't end up there, but you ended up just about everywhere else. So uh, really interesting. So for people who are listening, can you give them just a general sense? I know there's a pretty big range, but what is the competition like, um, you know, in these European leagues and Australian leagues, what, you know, can you give a, a sense of what the competition level is like and, and what that entails on a daily basis? So when I left the United States after playing collegiately and I went to Austria to play baseball, I, my eyes were open in, in a very big way. I came from a system. I came from a program that, you know, of course, de demanded discipline. And every day you were out on the field doing something and it was competitive and it was serious. And then I got to European baseball and it, not that it wasn't serious or it wasn't competitive, but it was certainly a step in a different direction from what I'd become used to. So it was very challenging early on for me to realize that I needed to change my mentality if I wanted to not only find success there, but also be able to connect with my teammates and make an impact on them as baseball players. And I can say that that transition was, was challenging. It was difficult, but over time, I think through the influence of import players and as homegrown talent in these European nations and in Australia, as it continues to improve, you're seeing a level of play that is a lot more in line with that of North American baseball. Of course, mm -hmm. being the Mecca of, of the, of the sport, I don't think that high school baseball in the United States is ever going to be 
is it's never going to be matched by any other play high school baseball in, in the world. It's just a well, college baseball or professional baseball for that matter. So it's, it's a, a unique place. And as I got to Europe and as I went to Australia, making those transitions into different clubs and organizations, it offered a new challenge in the kind of way that I could, I could bring the level of discipline and professionalism and experience that I had and not try to overdo or change the way that things have been done there, but rather share with them what I've, what I felt might help or sprinkle some information here and there and discuss ways that might be beneficial to do things to help the greater good. So I can say now that after a decade and being able to go back to some of the, to many of these places and reconnect with former teammates, coaches, or opponents, the level of play has improved significantly Mm -hmm. and look no further than in, in Austria. I am now on the, the Austrian national team, senior national team coaching staff. And there are guys who are, are stalwarts on the team who were young developing players when I was there as a player in the Austrian baseball league. So to see those guys come through the ranks and really grow and mature as players and people is exciting. And it's outstanding for the country that gets to, gets to then have those guys play in their backyard every weekend throughout the summer competing in a game that they've been around for their entire lives. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, just from, from hearing your story, you really cut your teeth as a coach early while you were still playing. And so um, I don't want to shortchange your playing career, but I do want to transition a little bit to that coaching experience that you're going on now, a decade of coaching baseball abroad. And I wanted to, you know, dive into some of your philosophies and values as a coach. Um, You've already mentioned it, but your coaching experience is just about as diverse as your playing background. So to recap, you've, you've been the assistant coach for the Austrian national team where you've helped them move up to the European A division. You were the director of the hip factory in Singapore where you ran the programming. You were the assistant coach for the Perth heat of the Australian baseball league where you won three championships in the ABL you were a strength and conditioning coach for the Baltimore Orioles during spring training. You are now a private coaching consultant for numerous teams in numerous countries and continents. So did I get, did I get all those right? Am I, is that a pretty, you got, you got them right. And you, you make me sound a lot cooler and exciting than, than I think I am. So I have to thank you again, but that is all accurate information. Yes. So, you're all over the place, as you've mentioned a number of times. So can you give us a snapshot of what your calendar looks like so people can get a real sense of, you know, the type of coaching that you're doing and the work that you're doing with players? It's quite unique. I, I work in about eight to 10 months in advance. So as I'm planning and programming for the year ahead, I know where I'll be, how long I'll be there. And then that allows me to create mix and match schedules in places that I can be so that I can fill my schedule, but also still be at home to be a husband and have a fairly normal life, I suppose. And so that freedom and flexibility that I have to create my own schedule is it's really something I've never experienced before, but absolutely something that I cherish. You know, as I think back to being a player and going through programs, organizations, systems where the coach was in charge. He told you where to go, when to be there, how long you need to do something and how long you don't need to do something. And you know, this is when you go to class. This is when you go to practice. The bus leaves at this time. Sometimes throw this pitch, you know, throw this pitch. I said, throw this pitch. So always being told and directed what to do was, was kind of just part of life, you know, for me. And uh, since starting my own business, I've been able to um, I've been able to create that freedom and flexibility that I, that I referenced and, you know, being able to have a consistent schedule from season to season is excellent in that it gives me that continuity and consistency. It allows me to, to go back to places and continue to make an impact rather than just fly in for a week at a time and never see these, these players or coaches again. So what I've done the last few years is I take four trips to the Middle East, typically two in the spring, two in the fall, take a few trips to Australia, a couple trips to Bangladesh, 
and then usually one trip to Europe each summer to work with the Austrian national team. And then in and amongst those trips, uh, typically have a few shorter baseball trips. And at the moment, I'm, I'm currently working on a couple projects that might land me in some places that I've never been before and hopefully can, can create new opportunities in different parts of the world through baseball. Sure. So for those of us listening here in the United States, is international coaching different than coaching players here in the U.S.? And, and how so? That is a great question. And if I'm honest, I don't know that I'm the best person to answer that because the bulk of my coaching career, in fact, nearly all of my coaching career has been outside of the United States. You know, while I work with Americans or North Americans, Westerners in, in many cases in these locations that I go to, I'm not in the environment that is baseball in the USA. I know that there's, there's obviously quite a bit of talk and kind of um, public knowledge of, of negativity in the game. And it's constantly about wanting to win and get the trophy and statistics and very results driven. Whereas my philosophy and, and how I try to impart wisdom on the people that I, that I engage with is that it's more about the process. In fact, it's, it's all about the process and being able to not only, as I mentioned about the recruiting process, enjoying that journey, enjoying the process and, and being where your feet are, as you said, and being present physically, mentally, and emotionally, rather than being fixated on how many hits I got, what my batting average is, how many likes I got on my, my baseball video post, and just on and on and on. The things that have, I think, kind of started to consume the youth sports world, at least from what I've been told or kind of what I observe from a distance. So. I can say that it's very refreshing being outside of the United States from a, a sport and specifically a baseball standpoint, because there is, there's an excitement, there's an energy and enthusiasm for baseball in these places that I go because they're not in the Mecca of baseball. They're, they're removed from it, still have their finger on the pulse and of course can engage through social media and technology and have a chance to, to see all this on the screen but that's altogether different than the way you and I grew up where we could drive to a major league stadium and go watch a game. You know, these kids in Saudi Arabia and Bangladesh and Australia, they, they don't have a chance to do that unless it's a special trip. So to really be able to bring an energy and enthusiasm to the field as I've worked with these players and coaches is rewarding in the sense that I know they want to be there. They're excited. And there's a, there's a true passion and hunger for, for the game of baseball. So you have a captive audience, you have an excited group of kids, uh, willing participants. Talk a little bit about your coaching philosophy when you're working with young players. Well, I appreciate you asking about it, Ethan. It's, I like to think of it as a very simple philosophy. I teach life lessons through baseball. Uh, as much as baseball is a game, it's, I see it as a metaphor for life. You know, so much of what takes place from pitch to pitch inning to inning, game to game, and throughout an entire season can be related to what takes place in our daily lives as human beings. Things like respect, discipline, preparation, teamwork, uh, resiliency, confidence, and then three of my big ones, attitude, effort, and focus. Are, those are all intangibles that athletes and specifically baseball players need in order to be consistently successful and you know, these same soft skills that, that I've referenced allow somebody to be a good sibling, a child, a friend, a classmate, a coworker, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, or a wife. So, you know, through the drills and activities and the, the learning opportunities that we have together on the field, I work to incorporate these soft skills and challenge the, the kids and the adults that I work with to see the big picture and to understand that it's it's baseball it's a game but we can relate it in so many ways to what we do on a daily basis off of the field sure and that's certainly the most important part we're all gonna we're all gonna use those skills um we might not all be professional baseball players or make a career out of baseball but those lessons stick with us so i i love that and i want to dive deeper into your philosophies and your values and 
I noticed on your website, readbaseball.com, and we'll put that in the, the show notes, but you list some core values. Can you walk us through what those are? Absolutely. No, I'd love to. So again, try to keep it simple. It's, it's six simple words and three different things. So the first one is trust the process. The second one is control the controllable. And the third one is compete with confidence. And so each of those I, I weave into the, the drills, the sessions, whether it's one kid that I'm working with in one private lesson or an entire team of 12-year-olds that I'm trying to take through a team practice, or if it's a, a coaching clinic that I'm administering for adults who are trying to become better baseball coaches themselves, those are things that that philosophy is what I'm instilling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hear a lot of these things, you know, in baseball talk, we, we certainly use them on the website. Um, all three of those, as a matter of fact, but I want to, I want to dive into that. I want to have you explain those a little bit more and, and what exactly those mean to you. So, so let's just kind of go through them one by one and we'll start with, you know, trust the process. This is, this is obviously something that you hear a lot in baseball. So what exactly does it mean? And, and how are you making sure that the process is the right one and not leading you down the wrong, the wrong path? Sure. No, it's a great question. And I, I think that, you know, trust the process to me can be said in a number of ways. And the best way that I suppose the best way I can explain it is I, I remind players that they didn't learn to walk in, in one hour, uh, one day, one week, or one month. You know, it takes time. It was a long process that, that featured countless ups and downs, both literally and figuratively. And so if players understand from the beginning that their quest to become the best athlete or the best person that they can be is going to take time, and it's going to include struggles and successes. And if we can just get them to, to take a step back and and trust that this quest is a marathon and not a sprint, it's a long journey, then their mind is already thinking in an advanced, highly intellectual way, which is going to allow them to optimize their performance in whatever it is they do. And notice I, I didn't say baseball at all through that. It's, you know, it, it is trust the process is something that can be applied to, to someone's everyday life. And you know, I guess to take it a step further, in a more specific way, I, I challenge each each kid that I that I interact with to have their own process and to own it. You know, by by asking them a simple question, I ask them to something I that I learned from Alan Jager, who's uh, just an extremely influential man in the in the baseball community, and and I've had a chance to to engage with him a few different times, and it's just a wealth of knowledge and. I snagged this question from Alan and I, and I think that it's, it's so, it's so good. And I've found success with it already is what three things are going to allow you to have the best practice or game of your life. So by honing in on, on those three things and devoting all of our focus to executing their process, their individual routine, if you will, which we've now consolidated into three simple steps or three simple things, players can channel their energy to their process and eliminate any external distractions or variables that may want to creep into their mind that could potentially influence them in a negative way. And a small example would be, I'm a hitter and perhaps my process as a hitter is to see the ball. So get ready to hit, see the ball and hit the ball hard. So ready to hit, see the ball well, hit the ball hard. That's three things. So if I step in the box and my first thought is, whew, hope he doesn't throw me a curveball, I'm immediately taking myself away from my process. So if I just say, look, get ready to hit, I'm ready to hit, see the ball well, it doesn't matter what pitch it is, as long as I see it well, then I can do my best to then hit the ball hard, which is, again, part of my process. Of course, it's easy to say all these things, but I think to, to put this plan in place and then to actually practice it in practice allows players, allows coaches, whomever it is to, to have the confidence in being able to then go out and execute it because they've done it so many times. Sure. So we're starting to see how some of these, how your, your 
coaching philosophy kind of works in tandem with, you know, some of these core values that you're, you're talking about in your teaching. So let's move on to control the controllables. This is one of my personal favorites. Um, big, big fan of the mental game. How do you define this? Can you talk a little bit more about how you're coaching kind of the, really to me, what's the mental game and maybe it means something different to you, but can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. And look, I think the, the reality is controlling the controllable is it's such a wide net that can be cast over so many variables that a ball player encounters in a game or even on a given pitch, you know, things like the weather, how the ball bounces an umpire's decision, whether a teammate catches the ball that I threw them or what the defense does once the ball leaves my bat, you know, those are all things that we as players have zero control of. So, and those are just a few, you know, we could go on and on and, and, talk until we're blue in the face about all the things that are out of our control. But I think by harnessing our energy and channeling our focus on the things that we do have control of, we, and I say we collectively, you know, I'm talking about players and talking about coaches and talking about people generally, we manage what can actually be controlled. And we, you know, I challenge each, each ball player that I work with to, to bring their best attitude, effort, and focus to every single pitch every single at bat, each session, each practice or game that they're involved in. And, you know, those are three controllables. And those are the three that I really stand by with, especially young players is give me your best attitude, give me your best effort, do your best to stay focused. And we're going to get the most out of you. You're going to be the best version of yourself during the time that we spend together. And, you know, I think being able to just hone in again on those three things if those three things are at their best for each individual, good things are going to follow. So, you know, to take it a step further with your question about the mental game, I think that there's, there's so much talk on it now and you're seeing the, the, the paradigm really shifting from the, the physical side of things to it being what it's always been, which is a mental game. And people are being employed by, by major league organizations to just focus on the mentality of, of the players in that organization, just their mindset. And I think that that's phenomenal. And, you know, that there is, there's so much information that can be shared that at times we as coaches can overwhelm our players with too much detail or too many things to remember. So a, a big part of my approach when I'm working with, with young players and, and even coaches at times is sometimes saying nothing, both in body language and verbally, is the best way. And I feel like that through my experiences, again, I'm not, uh, I'm not a coach that's been around as long as many others who've been on this show and certainly who you've come into contact with, but I feel like I've been able to get the most out of the players that I worked with once we've established their process and they begin to own it. And that ownership and accountability forces them to, to really think critically about every action that they perform and, put their mental energy toward everything that they're doing. And of course, part of that process is controlling what they can control. Right. So working the process, trusting the process, controlling the controllables, looks like that's all leading towards the ability to compete with confidence, which is your, your third core value. Now, what, what does this look like? You know, when you are watching one of your players compete with confidence, what are a few of the actions that they're displaying? What, what are you seeing that lets you know in the third base coach box or wherever you might be, this guy's got it. He's competing with confidence. And look, this is the fun, this is the fun part of the, of the philosophy. This is when it, it gets really exciting because through, through all of the prep work, let's just use a, a tournament as an example. We've got a tournament in six weeks time in 10 weeks time, whenever it is, you know, that, that's a process. There's 10 weeks leading up to that tournament. We can either sit on our hands and do nothing and just show up and play, or we can try to formulate a plan that's going to allow us to be the best version of ourselves when it comes time to throw that first pitch in the first game of the tournament. And so that's the process there, trusting that process and the plan that we've laid out. And then through that process, controlling what we can. So if there's practice scheduled for today and practice gets rained out, well, we can't, control the weather. So we've, we can either 
be upset about it or we can find a way to still get our work in somehow. And controlling the controllable, that's a small example. And then by putting in the work, by, by trusting in that process, by controlling what we can through the process, now it's time when it's game time or when it's time to go out and involve ourselves in a competitive engagement in an atmosphere where there's someone else that's battling us. That's the time as a coach where I, where I pull back and I just say, look, it's time for the work we've put in to be on display. If we either have it or we don't, I'm not going to coach you through every pitch. I'm not going to technically and mechanically make adjustments for you as you're in the batter's box. That is not the time to do that. We've either not prepared well enough or we've completely gone away from our plan. And as a coach, what I'm looking for, if I'm in the third base coaching box or if I'm in the dugout, I'm seeing players compete with confidence when they're owning their process. So if their process includes taking deep breaths, or really visualizing, you know, you as a coach can see that a player's in a zone. If they start to lose focus, if they're not ready on every pitch as a defender, if they aren't throwing their pitches with conviction, if there's, if they're lacking energy or enthusiasm or, or control of their emotions, then I start to see that, that maybe we're not competing with confidence. And of course, every player is a little bit different, but I think instilling that, that reassurance that, Hey, it's game time now. You're, you know, the, the leash is off and you're able to run free. Go, go do your thing. And so giving players that freedom in practice when it's time to compete, if, if it's an inner squad or scrimmage or just a, a chance to, to throw live to a hitter or to hit live from a pitcher, again, that's a, that's a time to compete with confidence. Uh, there, there have certainly been times in my career where I've overcoached those moments and have, as you and I have discussed previously, taken the athleticism or not allowed the players athleticism to, to shine. And as a coach, that's, that's a, for me, that's a big no, no, because it's just taking away an opportunity for that kid to develop on his own and to really understand what it does mean to compete and to do so with that self-belief and confidence. Yeah. As I listen to you talk about this stuff, I can't help but think about uh, the late great Augie Garrido, who would talk about the battle between confidence and fear and I know you spent some time with, with coach and um, possibly that influenced the way you kind of look at this. But I just, I think that's a really uh, interesting dynamic and I feel like it'd be a swing and a miss not to bring him up. Um, and, and, you know, as you discuss kind of what it looks like to turn guys loose and, and have them take on this challenge on their own. So as you've, I guess, pulled back the reins, so to speak, during competition. Um, what have you noticed from your players? Have you noticed uh, any key coaching moments, any, anything that really stands out as a guy realizing, well, hey, maybe I didn't prepare well enough or kids who, who all of a sudden have the realization that their you know, eight to 10 weeks of hard work is finally paying off? Can you share some of those stories? Absolutely. You know, I've seen, I've seen the, the positive and the not so positive, the kids who the players, the coaches whom have prepared really, really well and have then gone out and had the game or tournament of their lives and have really competed with confidence and have executed well and been successful. And then you see, you see the other side of the coin where a player will train really, really well and he will trust this process and control what he can and, then it comes time to get out there and for whatever reason or reasons, the, the confidence isn't there or perhaps a, a step or two have, have been taken backwards and we're on our heels now rather than being the, the aggressor and the one who's, who's going to go out there and eat rather than be eaten. And I think that as, as a coach, as I see those, those moments unfold for the, for the people, the, the kids that I work with, a big part of, of the thing that they don't have access to is consistent and frequent high-level pressure situations. So when you live outside the United States where baseball is not played every weekend at, the, at a very high level, and you live in smaller communities that don't have as many baseball players or baseball resources, it's challenging to be challenged. The, the fact that you, you play baseball is great, but to play at that next level 
and, and move that next layer up where you're really being challenged and, and, and are being challenged with frequency that you're going to improve. That's where I really see the teeth get cut is the kids who have a chance to go and play at a high level and be challenged and experience, experience, not, not experience success to then come back and, and then be in a position where the confidence is there because of the fact that they've been pushed, they've gotten out of that comfort zone and it's given them a, a new perspective on what they're capable of doing because they've been pushed. So I think the, the, the shortest, most succinct way to say it is giving these kids more of an opportunity to play competitive high level baseball in pressure situations. And as a coach, that's what I'm looking to try to replicate in our training. It's just not always easy to do, as you know. Right. Definitely. Definitely. But it sounds like you've got the plan to do it. So kudos to that. Um, and it sounds like from what I'm seeing across the pond that it's working. Um, and I know you've got a busy schedule coming up. So I, I don't want to cut this time short because you're, you know, crushing these questions. Um, but I do, I just have a few more for you and, um, you know, your, your experiences in baseball, of course, including playing with me, um, (laughs) are ones that a lot of people can't even dream up. So my question is, you know, after I slide my name in there real quick, um, uh, myself into the story, um, how do you think your experience playing college baseball has prepared you for success in the post-college baseball adventure? So whether that be playing abroad or coaching, starting your own business, uh, you know, keeping up with the game from, as you say, some, some challenging vantage points, perhaps, how has that college baseball experience helped you? Well, it's, a, it's an interesting topic because no doubt that playing college baseball opened my eyes to a lot of things. And the thing that I would say stands out the most is that it opened my eyes to, to an advanced system, a structured regimen, both on and off the field. You know, I'd been part of, of quality organizations and really strong teams but in the past, but entering into a, a college program that was refined and had a track record for success it was altogether different. And I, I did, leading up to my college playing days, lead a, a fairly structured, disciplined life, both on and off the field. But college baseball and being a student athlete further cemented what was a consistent discipline regiment that ultimately shaped who I am as a person today and just how I go about my, my daily activities. You know, and, and just to, to name a few, I think things like respect and time management, preparation and accountability, communication and teamwork, those would all be traits that that I would that I was able to sharpen while I was a student athlete at both Baylor and at Winthrop. And those same traits and plenty of others that I developed through my days as a student athlete have certainly prepared me for success in my international baseball endeavors. Yeah, that's uh, hear that so often from former players, and that's obviously one of the reasons why we're trying to help kids make it to college. Because you know, in addition to giving them that incredible experience for four years, it's really something that we feel like gives them the tools to lead successful lives, and beyond that, be contributing members to the community. So I love that you highlighted that. Um, let's uh, let's finish with a couple fun questions. Um, so out of all your baseball experiences, coaching, playing, uh, 50 countries, five continents, what stands out as being your favorite moment? Can you pinpoint just one? That is, that's a challenge, man. I look at, as you said, you've, you've, you've put me on this pedestal here, man. I don't feel like I should be up here right now, but I've been very fortunate to have so many positive experiences through baseball. And it's, it's a challenging question to answer with just one specific experience or one specific moment. Of course, everybody likes to win. So having been a part of eight championship teams, 
across the US, Austria, New Zealand, and Australia, that's always going to have a special place in, in the, the baseball archives that are between my ears. And I think, look, I think simply having the, the opportunity to see the world because of baseball is something I never would have dreamed could have been possible. So in, in many ways, I am, I don't, I don't say this myself, but so many people say it to me, oh, you're living the dream. I guess in, in so many ways, I, I am living the dream because I get to call baseball, uh, these are air quotes here, I get to call baseball a job. And that job allows me to, to travel to different parts of the world, coaching and mentoring people from numerous backgrounds and cultures. So when I take a step back and, and really just look at what it is I'm doing and reflect on, on my profession, I consider myself to be extremely lucky and, and very fortunate to be able to, to call baseball my job. And, and really, it's, it's carved out a, a huge chunk of my entire life and my existence on this planet. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Um, let's finish with this one. You know, you have a captive audience of players, parents, coaches out there listening to this. I, I just want to finish by giving you some o- open mic time. If there's a message that you want to end on or there's anything that we didn't discuss, uh, open mic, let's, let's hear it. What do you got for us? Well, Ethan, you've, you've done a, a remarkable job of prying a ton of information out of me. I feel like I've spoken way too much. So thank you, first of all, for giving me the opportunity to join the podcast and to share my story and to, to hopefully allow others to, to hear this information and realize that, that continuing to play and coach baseball is, is a reality. Really, no matter how you want to be involved, you can stay involved in the game. I would say that, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't th- say thank you to some, some important people who've, who've made my journey possible. Uh, my parents obviously were the the catalysts in kickstarting my life in baseball. So I've got to thank my mom and dad for their their patience and persistence and, and constant support in every every single baseball journey I encountered. You know, my father, uncle, and my late grandfather were always three of my biggest supporters. They taught me so much about the game. And I feel privileged to this day to to be able to pass on to others that I work with so much of what they shared with me from a, from a really young age. And, you know, I'd also like to thank probably the, the most important person out of all those is, uh, is my wife who she's been so supportive through, um, my habit, my, my passion, my lifestyle, my addiction, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> um, baseball. So I, I may be the coach out of the couple, out of the two of us, but she's, she's most definitely the general manager. So Haley is the one that uh, keeps the ship going. And without all those people that I just named, of course, my, my story isn't much of a story at all. So it's, it's because of them that I'm able to do all this. So thank them. Thank you. Thank them. Thank you, everybody. Always good to end with a little gratitude. Um, keep things in perspective. Love it. Uh, before we let you run, uh, tell people where they can find out more about you. Uh, social media stuff. We'll we'll put this stuff in the notes, as I mentioned, but just want people to be able to reach out to you if they have questions and and follow up. Uh, Where can people find you? Certainly. So my website's probably the easiest platform. That's readbaseball.com. So my last name, R-E-I-D, baseball.com. And through that, they can access my social media platforms. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And Email wise, would be happy to to hear from any of your listeners. My email address is Owen O W E N at readbaseball.com. So any of those channels I can be contacted through. And I'm not quite up to speed as keep playing baseball on the social media platforms, but I'm doing my best to catch up with you guys. <laughs> well, uh you got you got time. You got nothing but time. Um <laughs> Owen, man, it's always good to uh, connect with you, whether it's a uh, jungle trek with Maddie's Barefoot Tours in, uh, in Australia or talking shop here on the podcast. But um, definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your day to share with our listeners and look forward to doing it again sometime soon. 
Ethan, it's been it's been a pleasure, man. We've we've talked about this for quite some time. So I just want to say thank you to you as well for everything you're doing for the the baseball community domestically there in the U.S., but also abroad. And keep playing baseball is is a great concept, an outstanding organization, and I'm just happy to to be able to share my story and and continue to to keep this relationship going. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Thank you, Ethan. Take care, buddy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the College Baseball Recruiting 101 podcast brought to you by Keep Playing Baseball. As always, if you need more information on the recruiting process or how to play college baseball, you can find that for free on our website, www.keepplayingbaseball.org. We're also very active on social media. That's at KeepPlayingBB on Twitter, KeepPlayingBaseball on Facebook, and at KeepPlayingBaseball on Instagram. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take the time to subscribe and leave us a review, or at least tell your friends. We provide all this information for free because we want to help you get to the next level. If you're interested in a partnership or sponsorship in underwriting some of the Keep Playing Baseball content on our website, or being the title sponsor or running ads on our podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out to keepplayingbaseball at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening to this episode, and we look forward to catching you on the next one.